0: So just buckle up, baby, because here we go. So Matthew 21, <coughs> excuse me, starting in verse 18, says this. It says, in the morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem, he was hungry, and he noticed a fig tree beside the road. He went over to see if there were any figs, but there were only leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit, Again, this is a glimpse that even Jesus got hangry. You know what I mean? Like, you ever pulled up to a place, you're really hungry, and you find out that you're closed, and you're like, I will never eat at your establishment again, right? You know, this is like Jesus wakes up in the morning, wants something to eat, and he curses this poor fig tree. May you never bear fruit again. That's my justification next time I get hangry. I'm just trying to be more like Jesus, all right? And immediately, the fig tree withered up. The disciples were amazed. They were amazed, they were in awe when they saw this and they asked, how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Now, I can imagine the internal struggle of the disciples that wanted to go, dang, Jesus, why are you so angry, right? But they were like, no, 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 how did the fig tree wither so quickly? Look, a bird, right? Then Jesus told them, i tell you the truth, if, everybody say if. If you have faith and and if you've got your Bibles or something you can highlight or underline, I want you to underline or highlight those next words and Don't doubt. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if, say if, and if you have faith, you will receive it. You will receive it. Now, if you were with us last week, we heard, I believe, a truly transformational. You can literally feel supernaturally a shift in the room last Sunday when Pastor Ashley was here preaching around faith and faith being the currency of heaven. It's what unlocks the doors in our life of the promises, the miracles of God that he has. And he began to talk about us needing to be rich in faith to have An abundance of faith. And I promise you, I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear that message last week because you weren't here or you didn't catch it on the podcast, to go back and listen to it. Because honestly, it was transformational. And last Sunday, I'm sitting down and I'm listening to Pastor Ashley preaching this incredible word on faith. Like, ooh, I need to get me apparently some more of that. But I found myself with the internal struggle that, frankly, I believe a lot of us possess. I've really struggled with this scripture. This particular story that Jesus is is talking and this interaction he has with the disciples, I've struggled also with James, I believe, chapter 5, verse 6, if I'm not mistaken, where James talks about not doubting. If you believe and you do not doubt, uh, I I have felt more about like the guy who comes to Jesus and says, I believe, just help me with my unbelief, right? You know, like, "I, I believe, but I keep stumbling over this internal wrestle of doubt, right? This doubt that's kind of just ingrained into the fiber of our being because, frankly, we have been conditioned in our lives to naturally doubt, to naturally always have a plan B, a plan C, a plan F, a plan G, right, all those things just in case it doesn't work out the way that I want it to. Right? We're conditioned everywhere in that. Don't put all of your investments in one portfolio just in case that stock happens to crash, just in case the real estate market flips upside down, just in case you wanna divide, you wanna always have this plan B experience. We've all kind of naturally seen, not always what could be, but if that doesn't work out, what am I left with? That's kind of what we've always, and I've felt that permeate in my spirit a bit through my entire lifetime, which I'm sure you can relate to and agree with, that we go, God, I'm believing for great things. But really internally, we keep tripping over this stumbling stone, and it's called doubt. Jesus says, if I have faith, all of these things and much more. Jesus, remember, would say, listen, you're going to do far greater things than I have. The very same power that raised me from the dead, it lives on the inside of you. So he promises these great things. He promises this fulfillment, but he says, have faith, but do not doubt. Now, easier said than done. A lot of times we say we don't doubt, but really we've got this internal struggle in this wrestle. I've thought about, and the other reason why I've struggled with this text isn't because of the challenge that Jesus gives of having great faith but not doubting, but also I've struggled with, Jesus, why did you curse the fig tree? Like, was he really that angry? You know what I mean? Like, was it really like, I curse you, you know, like, that's just dangerous. I would have ducked, you know, make sure he didn't curse me on the way by, you know. And I've struggled. And, and what was it? The, the text says that the fig tree had leaves but no fruit. It had the appearance of fruit but actually didn't have anything that was fruit-bearing. What was Jesus actually showing? Now, Jesus was the greatest illustrated sermon preacher ever, right? He immediately surveyed the land of humanity and was like, y'all are not smart enough to get this. I'm going to have to start telling stories, pulling out my felt board and drawing images on the things. You get this now, right? Jesus, that's why he began to speak in parables. He goes, y'all ain't going to understand the kingdoms, of the the principles of heaven and, and these things that I've come to establish. And so Jesus, what, continually used illustrations. He always spoke in parables. And so here he is speaking with the disciples about Great faith and not doubting. And what does he use as his illustration? A fig tree, a fruit-bearing tree, right? What is he saying? That if you root yourself and plant yourself with faith, absent of doubt, there is never a season that isn't a fruit-bearing season. Can I tell you something? The life that God has promised for you, it doesn't mean that you won't go through hard times. It doesn't mean that you won't go through trials. It doesn't mean you won't go through your spiritual winter. Have you ever had somebody that said that? I'm just in a spiritual winter right now. It's just a dry place, Right? It doesn't mean that we won't go through difficult times. It doesn't mean there will be times, won't be times that we'll struggle to overcome. But he says that, that in all things and in all times, the kingdom that I'm promising you is a kingdom of fruitfulness. That you learn and develop the ability to be able to bear fruit, not in some seasons, not in most seasons, but can live a life that is fruit-bearing in all seasons. And so he curses this false image of where it looks like there's fruit there, but there's no fruit there. Are you with me? I think back, I've shared so much, you know, bits and pieces of my story. That word, that word uh, doubt, by the way, in the Greek is the word divided. In other words, not separating something off, but he's saying do not doubt, but be fully, fully believe. Fully, that word faith is actually the word that means divinely persuaded. I'm fully convinced that this faith, this belief in who he is. I've shared so much of my, little bits of my story over the years, and, and, um, and I've shared quite candidly and openly that my favorite job other than vocational ministry, before I had the opportunity to do it in the capacity that I do it in now, was the three years that I worked for Apple. I loved working for Apple, and it was just a great community, great dynamic. I, I was a gadget guy for so long, right, never saw a paycheck, right. All of our marriage fights for three years was all about, where'd the money go, babe? Uh, don't look at this phone, you know? Uh, you know. Every iPad, I was that guy, right. The Lord has delivered me of that, partially because I have three kids, and now I can't afford them, right. But anyways, when I worked at Apple, I loved doing it. And one of actually my favorite things of working at Apple was I actually loved being able to see the diversity of people. Right, you saw the really wealthy and the and, and a bit of the poor. Right, you're like, who who's poor and has an iPhone? I don't know how they got it, but they got the phone, right? You know, the, you get the very angry, you get the business guys, you get the stay-at-home moms, you got the kids that are you know breaking stuff off the wall. Like I love the fast-paced diversity of people, and one thing that I was kind of known for was uh, send all the difficult people to the preacher. You know what I mean? Like they would come and if somebody was angry, they'd be like, we have the guy just for you. Just stand right over there, sir. He'll be right out, right? And then, you know, I'd walk out and I got my own queue line of ticked off people with broken phones and, and whatnot. They're like, here. And I'm like, great, fantastic, right? But why? I loved dealing with difficult people. I loved dealing with angry people because I loved being able to give them a solution that they walked in feeling like their world was was coming to an end, but they were walking out smiling again. They were walking out with a bit of hope again, right? People aren't as dumb as I thought they were. You know, like I was restoring the faith in humanity for some of these guys. And, And I remember when Apple came out with this feature on their devices, and it was called Do Not Disturb. Because they realized that people were getting so enamored with the technology that it was distracting them from everything that they did. Business meetings, right? You know, you never feel less important to somebody than when you're sitting there and a phone call comes in, they're like, can't hang on a second, I gotta take this. You're like, obviously I'm not as important as to whatever's happening on the phone, right? Immediately offense, right? And But they ultimately, they came out with this feature because there were so many distracted drivers, right? They knew that although we can make it illegal to text and drive or to call, you know, be actually on a handheld and not on a hands-free device or whatever. So we've got to come up with a, a solution to actually kind of a problem that we've created. And so they created this thing about do not disturb it. And what happened was when Apple released this feature, people didn't realize that it turned itself on automatically. You actually had to go into your settings and you had to turn it off. So we used to get people who would come in with their phones and like, the craziest thing is going on with my phone. I've got a full battery. I've got full service. But I'm not getting any phone calls. Like people are calling me and it's going straight to my voicemail. I call my provider and my bill's paid. And I'm not getting my uh, alerts or text messages, things like that. And I'm going down and I've got all these missed calls. My phone's never rang. And I, it's, I don't understand. But at the same time, I can dial out. I can call anybody and Everybody. But anytime somebody tries to call me, it goes straight, you know, and it's like, and I need a new phone, right? Everybody, like, I need a new device to fix this. And I would sit down, and go, listen, you see, there's a little icon in the the top right corner, it says a little, like, moon, right? You see that? Yeah, it's just the craziest thing. Like, that moon showed up the second all of this happened. Like, well, you know, um, just time out. Appreciate your enthusiasm. Um, we're going to go and we're going to just hit this little button right here, right, which just sends everybody into a tailspin. I waited an hour for you to hit a button. Give me a phone for my pain and suffering, right? You know, like that was kind of the attitude of so many people. And what was I showing them? I was showing that, listen, there's this feature that's been turned on that you got to go and you've got to, it's, it's actually preventing everything that's trying to get to you. It's blocking all of those calls and all of that correspondence and all of those updates from actually getting to you that is similar to what doubt is in our life there is no shortage of supply there's no shortage of grace there's no shortage of blessing there's no shortage of promise of what God has but doubt is this itty bitty stumbling block that heaven keeps trying to send it our way but it's blocking us from the our ability to receive so Jesus is saying listen if you have faith but you've got to deal with this stumbling block that is in all of us and it's doubt am I getting through to anybody this morning Two people. Okay, great. We're going to get the rest of you by the end of this. So Pastor Ashley centered his whole message last week around this verse. I'm going to bring us back into it. James chapter 2, verse 5 it says this. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Rich in faith. So if he's saying rich in faith, that the opposite is also true. That means I can be poor in faith. And the only way I go from poor in anything to rich in something is I have to, feel, have to figure out the means to receive the currency, right? If I don't have enough money to purchase something, I've got to go out and find the means to bring in income to purchase what it is I need. So if I can be rich in faith, I'm also poor in faith. Well, we need to understand God's nature. Just track with me. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture, but hang on. I'm going to make it all make sense in just a moment. Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, says this. God speaking to Abram, later to be known as Abraham, he says this. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Now watch this. Your very great reward. That word reward in the Hebrew literally means paymaster or wages. So in other words, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am the one who gives you, provides for you pays all things into you. You following me? So when I'm reading the Old Testament, even though I no longer live under law, but now I live under grace through the message of Jesus. Are you thankful that we live under grace in this place? Okay, good. I knew I'd get an amen there, right? I can read the Old Testament of how they lived under law, but still see the heart and the nature of God. God is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if God is establishing to the seed of the nation of Israel, to the seed of the promises through Abraham, that I am your paymaster, that means that faith comes from God. Now watch this. If we know that faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. Pastor actually talked about that. How faith is the currency of unlocking the things in the supernatural that God has. So let me bring us back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews eleven verse six says this familiar portion of scripture, and it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible, and anyone who, excuse me, wants to come to Him must believe that He exists, and that He rewards those who sincerely, or some translations would say, earnestly seek Him. Now, Pastor Ashley shared with us last week this eye-opening revelation that the reward is actually. More faith. Let me show it to you this way. Have you ever had what I like to call $5 faith? Where you just needed $5. Like that stretch in your life where you're like paydays like eight days away and I haven't eaten in two days. Lord, just give me $5 so I can get a Big Mac and some fries so you can satisfy my soul. Right? Anybody had $5 faith before? God, I just need a $5 faith. Right? Don't need much, God. Just need five bucks. That's it. Just five. $5 foot long. Don't care how it comes. Just need five. Right? And then what happens? We pray, we believe, we're already fasting, right, because we don't have any money. And so we we believe and we get five. And all of a sudden, God shows up supernaturally in response to my faith for $5. Now, I see God provide. I take the $5 and it meets my need. Now, I have graduated to another level of faith because I have prayed and believed and seen God come through on a foundational level. So life chugs on along and then all of a sudden I need $50 faith. Lord, I just need $50. If not, they're going to cut off my light bill tomorrow. You know what I mean? Like, And payday is 17 days away for some reason. And I just need $50, Lord, so they don't cut off my lights. And I've seen you do it before. And so if you were faithful enough to do it at $5, God, I know you're more than able to do it. At $50, right? And you're like, oh, glory to God, right? He shows up, and then all of a sudden, life happens, and I move on to $500 faith, right? Yeah, I I got these kids, and they just get more and more expensive. And God, you did it for $5. You did it for $50, and I've seen you do it before, so I will stand in the gap and believe that if you can do it for the little amount, you can do it for the much amount. Does that make sense? So with every level of where God begins to come through, I I gain a level of confidence and perspective of just how big and how good my God is. So he says, I I reward those who earnestly seek me, who sincerely seek me, not just with the meeting of your need, but God wants to do more than meet your need. He wants to enlarge your faith so that you continue to move forward confidently. This is good preaching. I thought I'd get an amen there. But we're going to keep going. So some of us feel helpless. Today, some of us believe that we're facing impossible scenarios and our problems won't shift. And maybe, just maybe, it's because we focused more on the issue, on the problem, rather than the answer to the problem. You know, one of my favorite things to do is to ask somebody to tell me the three best things going on in your life right now. Because I know everything in the fiber of your being is obsessing over what is broken. I can't remember, and I really, really wish I would, go, I, I would have had this thought as I was finishing my message this week to give you the, the real statistic. I'm going to give you what I believe is a conservative ballpark. But they say from the time a child is born to the time that they're 18 years old and they leave the home, they will have heard no 70 times more than the word yes. Why? It's because when we are raising young children, what are we doing? Don't touch that. Don't grab that. Don't do that. Why you got to be that way, you know what I mean? Like, is that just me and my children, you know what I mean? Like, you get that from your mother's side of the family, right? No, I'm just kidding. But, you know, we we go through this, oh, don't do that. Don't touch that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't do that. What are you doing, right? All of these things. And so a child is repetitively told what? No. They're told that we are repetitively training our children to actually see and recognize, and we're drawing more attention to the broken things than the things that they're doing well. It's a a sobering thought for all of us parents in the room, right? And so a lot of us, why? Because we were ingrained that way from the time that we're born, we naturally will find ourselves obsessing over problems rather than focusing on solutions. Are you with me this morning? And so we got to remember the disciples themselves even asked Jesus to increase their faith. Jesus oftentimes when identifying people would talk about the bigness or the littleness of their faith. The boxer Joe Frazier would say this, the great theologian Joe, right, says this. He says, champions don't become champions in the ring. They are merely recognized in the ring. Their beginning happens in their daily routine. You can map the fight plan or you can map out a life plan. But when action starts, you're just down to your reflexes. That's where your road work shows. If you've cheated in the dark of the moment, you'll be found out in the light of the moment. Our faith is grown in private places. And it's standing on what seems impossible and seems to be going elsewhere, everywhere, the opposite direction, everywhere else in my life. It doesn't make sense, but it's in those times, those dark times, that my faith has actually developed. It's strengthened my ability to stand, The daily decision to say, God, my situation doesn't look like it's getting better, but I know you're still above it all, and I know the one who is faithful to start it will be the one that's faithful to complete it. So if it's a dark season right now, God, you've just called me to be light in a dark place. That is what faith really is. So if we understand the, the, if we understand the importance of faith, but if we understand the stumbling block of doubt, we've got to understand what are the things that cause us to doubt. What's robbing your faith right now? I want to ask you that question. What is stealing? What is robbing faith from your life right now, presently in this moment? What's causing you to doubt? What's causing you to question the nature, the integrity, the character of God? I want to talk about just for these next brief few moments. What are the things that steal our faith, that rob our faith, but what are the things that Strengthen our faith, that heal our faith, that grow our faith. Are you with me this morning? One of the greatest stories in all the Bible about faith stealers, faith robbers, is found in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, says this. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom of God, this is Jesus speaking, and does not understand it, the evil one comes, watch this, and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Jesus is giving us an image to say, listen, seeds are planted supernaturally. Seeds are planted through people. Seeds are planted through the reading of the word, the preaching of the word, etc. But you need to understand that the devil circles around for seed to devour. James would say he's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking from whom he may devour. So Jesus is saying, listen, there is a devil out there. There is a real enemy out there. There is a real devil out there. There real is a real hell out there that is throwing everything it can to steal every seed of faith that may be headed to your soil. The devil is constantly looking to steal seeds of faith. So I think some of you, all of us, need to maybe embody what we read here in Genesis 15. Watch this. Verse 8. It says, but Abram, also speaking later to be known as Abraham... ...said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? What is it? It is the promised land. It is what God had promised Abraham. So the Lord said to him, watch this. Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these things to him, cut them in two, arranged them in halves, opposite sides of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then... Birds of prey came down on the carcasses, came down on the blessing, came down on the faith, if you will. But Abram, watch this, drove them away, right? Some of y'all need the spirit of Bruce Lee to come on you supernaturally and learn how to hide out right every time the devil tries to come and steal and devour away from the faith and the promise of what God has given you. Can I tell you something? It is your responsibility to guard the promises of God that he's given you, to guard against the attack of the devil to try to get you to doubt, to try to get you to, excuse me, to forfeit or to steal away the seed that God has ultimately planted in your life. I can just imagine Abraham out there just like, right, just g- get away. That was free right there just for you. I think I pulled a hamstring. Okay. But you've got to fight for your faith. You've got to fight for your seed. So let's go after a few things. What steals our faith? What robs us of faith? If you're taking notes, so you can write some of these down. One of which is shame. What is a robber of faith? Shame. Shame. A great reason not to indulge in sin is that it steals of, of our faith, robs us of our faith. 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, the Amplified says it this way. It says, and beloved, if our consciences, our hearts, do not accuse us, if they do not make us feel guilty and condemn us, then we have confidence, complete assurance and boldness before God. You know, last week I was... It was late one night. I can't remember what night of the week it was. I want to say it was a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. I was sitting on the couch, and I got a phone call from the family member that you go, I don't know that I want to answer this phone call. You have those where you see them on the caller ID, like, ha, ain't got that kind of time, right? You know what I mean? Like, it like it's, it's going to be a trap no matter how you answer the question or whatever. Just a quick question for you, and then like three hours later, you're like, deliver me, Lord. If you're going to come back, do it now <laughs> and take her first, you know? Like, it's it's kind of... You have those family members, we love them dearly, but you're thinking of at least four crazy aunts and uncles or siblings that you have. And I really questioned about answering the phone, but something told me to answer it. Later found out it was the Holy Spirit, so I answered and, hey, how's it going? How's it good? Hey, hey, I was wanting to tell you, I listened, uh, I was I was literally standing in the room with my kids, my kids screaming in the background, that way if it got too crazy, I'm like, i got to call you back, right? Until I found out what she wanted. <laughs> She goes, I was listening to your sermon the other day, and I stepped into a quiet room. I'm like, yes, you were listening to the teaching of the Lord? (laughs) And she's like, a couple weeks back, you preached this message about growing your faith and getting restoring your confidence. And at the end, you had everybody in the room begin to declare and and remember and recite out loud the promises of God for their life. Reminding yourself what, what has God said? What has God already said? And then there was this long pause. And then there was this weeping and weeping and weeping. I'm sitting there like, I don't know if these are good tears, bad tears. And this was her words to me. I've never felt worthy of a promise from God. She said, when I began, she said, I listened to you say that. And I listened to the the roars of people that were coming through your microphone, of people declaring God's promises. And I thought to myself, who am I? That God would promise me anything because of the mistakes I've made, because of the decisions I've made, because of my shortcomings, because of my disobedience, because of my rebellion, because of my selfishness. She began to recite to me all of these labels and things of shame that has plagued her. She said, I don't know that I've got a promise past what God promises everybody she says, and I'm content with that. I'll take the, li- the littlest crumbs from the master's table. You know, like, I-, I feel like I'll take the smallest thing. And here she was. Her faith is plagued because she can't overcome shame. What's a faith stealer? What robs you of faith is shame attaching itself to you. Can I tell you something? There is no shortcoming. There is no sin. There is no disobedience that God didn't completely pay for by the price of Jesus on the cross. That is what grace is. It is undeserved, unmerited favor. You're right, you don't deserve it. But yet he loves you so much that he chooses to still call you his and still chooses to have a plan, a purpose, and a promise for your life. So what steals our faith? Shame. What's another thing that steals, that robs our faith? Isolation. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 would say it this way. Let us hold resolutely to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. And let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit in 2020. But let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Isolation will kill your faith. You've heard me say this so much. The most deadly thing in 2020 was not coronavirus. I don't make light of that. I know that many people have suffered from it. I know many people have lost their lives because of it. But the most deadly thing that's even more deadly than the physical toll that's taken on was the number of people across our world that were forced into isolation, left alone in their thoughts, meditating on all the wrong things and creating alternate realities that don't even exist. Scientists will say that on average, 85% of the things that we worry about are things that actually don't ever even come to pass isolation in our lives cause. That's why if we want Our friends to survive, our family members to survive this shutdown, this season that we're still in, that still looks as unpredictable as ever going into the new year about what is coming ahead. Are they going to all make us wear masks? Are they all going to force us back into our homes? What is that going to look like? We need to be urging each other on, encouraging one another, not isolating from each other and encouraging the people that should be sitting in the empty seats to the left and the right of you. Not because Influencers Church is incredible, but that they need to be in a life-giving place hearing church. Truth to grow their faith. How else? How else do we grow our... Uh, how, what else steals our faith? Too much time in an atmosphere of unbelief. Too much time in the atmosphere of unbelief. What does that mean? Some of y'all need to turn off the news. Some of y'all need to step away from social media. I'm reminded of, in a, several months ago, I preached a message around this, of, of the story of Jairus and his little daughter that has died... She goes and sees Jesus, calls Jesus over, and on the way we know the woman with the issue of blood is healed. But what was the first thing that Jesus did when he stepped into the room with Jairus and Jairus' daughter? Jesus kicked everybody out of the room that was weeping and wailing and only had in the room with them a mom and dad who were desperate to see their little girl be resurrected and healed and the three closest with them, Peter, James, and John. Why? Because even Jesus knew the power of unbelief. That he completely removed from the room all doubt, all unbelief, all of those who had said it's good is done. And he only had surrounded with him those who had the crazy faith enough to believe that God can do something supernatural in an area that seems dead. What steals our faith? Too much time in an atmosphere of unbelief. Worry, as I mentioned a moment ago, Matthew 13, the seed among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. What steals our faith? Unforgiveness. It's funny that most of us re- recite the Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray this line in the in the lord's prayer when the disciples come to jesus said jesus teach us to pray he says pray in this way pray in this spirit pray in this heart pray in this manner and then a line in there is what a line that we pray but really if god really adhered to this line in the prayer we none of us would be here forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors in other words god only forgive me to the manner in which i'm forgiving of other people some of us aren't very forgiving. Some of us, we know how to hold on to something, and that's a grudge. That's an offense. And nothing will rob, steal, deplete, leak your faith like unforgiveness. How else? What else steals my faith? The delays. The delay. The, de- the apparent delay in God coming through. That same passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 13, verse 20, says this. The seeds sown on rocky ground is the one who hears the word and at once receives it with great joy. God's given me a promise. He's given me a prophetic word. He's spoken to me. He's shown something to me, and I've got great joy. But then, since it has no root, he remains only for a season. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The delay. Do you have the ability to stand even when it looks like things are moving backwards? But you know that you've heard from God. You know that God has spoken. Have you grown complacent and lazy because of the delay? No longer progressing forward. But don't worry, it's not all bad news. I do believe we need to understand what robs our faith, what steals our faith, what causes our faith to leak. But now, you say, how can I heal my faith? How can I strengthen my faith? How can I become rich in faith? Well, as I close, here's what I'll leave you with. There's a struggle between the power of grace and the level of faith in your life. Grace is God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. Grace says you have everything you need because of Jesus. It's all done. But faith determines whether you can access it. Scripture would say we are saved by grace, what Jesus has done through what? Through faith, through your ability to believe, through your ability to be divinely persuaded that you are saved. Faith determines whether or not you access what grace gives. Grace is trying to convince you that you are loved, that you're forgiven, that you're favored. But if you're poor in faith, you won't believe what grace has to say. Grace is what you have, but faith is what you can get how you can access it. Grace is the inheritance in the bank, but faith is the key that unlocks the door. Faith determines how much of God's grace I access. So how do I grow in faith, strengthen my faith, heal my faith? One is all about where you position yourself. I think about the story of Mary and Martha. Martha. Jesus comes and he visits Mary and Martha and what is the exchange that takes place? Is Martha is out busy doing all sorts of things around the house, around the area. Actually gets frustrated because her sister Mary has chosen to sit at the feet of Jesus. Martha gets irritated and says, Jesus, tell her to get up and to help me. Look at all of these things. And what does Jesus reply? Martha, you're worried about many things. When Mary has chosen what will never be taken away from her. She has chosen to position herself at my feet can I tell you something? You could rob me of everything that I own. You can rob every relationship from my life, but what you'll never be able to take from me is what he has gifted me and revealed into me by me choosing to position myself to sit at his feet. You can call me any name you want to call me, but I know that he says that I am his. He says that I am chosen. He says that I am above and not beneath. I am the head and not the tail. With long life, he will satisfy me. I don't take your word for it. I don't take her word for it. I take the one whose feet I chose to sit at's word for it. My faith is grown and where I position myself. How else do I grow my faith, heal my faith, my confession of faith? Romans 10 and 9 would say this, if you believe in your heart and you confess in your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. He didn't say if you just believe in your heart. He says if you confess it in faith out of your mouth. We did a whole study earlier this year on the book of Revelation. What does John say at the very beginning of Revelation chapter one? Blessed is the one who reads these words aloud. Who doesn't just meditate, ruminate on them or hear it comes out of somebody else's mouth, but rather says it themselves. My confession of faith. How do I heal my faith, strengthen my faith, replenish my faith? This way, I surround myself with other faith-filled Christians. One of my favorite stories in all the Bible is the story of the paralyzed man. The paralyzed man who's sitting outside of this house that Jesus is performing all these miracles. He's sitting on the edge, and I can imagine just the line of people trying to get into this miracle worker that they keep calling Jesus. I can imagine he's looking at it. He's paralyzed. He's going, well, I'm never going to make it in there, but maybe I can just get a little charity, a little sympathy, a little empathy from people that are waiting in line to getting their miracle. Scripture describes that there's these four friends of the paralyzed man that says, no, 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 no. You might not have faith, but we do. We're going to pick up your mat. We're going to go to the top of the house. We're going to cut a hole in the roof, and we're going to let you down. Now watch this. This is one of the most mind-blowing things in all of Scripture to me. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 says this. they have laid the man at, his, at the feet of Jesus... And it says, and it says, and it says, seeing their faith. Whose faith? Not the paralyzed man's faith. Jesus heals a paralyzed man, not because of how much faith he had in that moment, but because of faith of four people who he surrounded himself with. You think that paralyzed man didn't have faith after he could walk? He became a guarantee, a man of faith. We never hear about him later in Scripture about his life and what he chooses to do or, or his friends. We don't even know their names. But Jesus looked at the faith of a community, the faith of a people, the faith of friendship that was around him. I guarantee you that man stood up with a whole lot of faith. How do I grow my faith, heal my faith? I begin to hear faith preached. We heard this last week faith comes by hearing and hearing by. Not the opinions of man, not the TED talk, not the YouTube clip, and not the podcast, but by the preaching of God's word. How do I increase my faith, heal my faith, strengthen my faith, dialogue with Jesus? Can I tell you something? God's thankful for your prayer closet, but he'd love for you to be continuously aware of him throughout the day. Doesn't mean we don't intercede, doesn't mean we don't fast, but God would just love your awareness of him throughout the day. Talking with Jesus, how do I heal my faith, strengthen my faith, forgiveness, letting go of offenses? How do I do it? I get myself in a life-giving church. You've heard my heart so much over the years. My prayer is not for all people to come to Influencer Church. We're a very flawed place. We have flawed systems, flawed programs, flawed staff members. My dad used to say, we keep building the perfect church, but you keep showing up. So it's not perfect anymore. It will always be a place of imperfection. Because we're all people who've fallen short. We've had to, in these last few years, make some hard looks in the mirror and make some changes about things that are out of order and out of balance. But I can tell you, we're trying to steward and move forward in the best way that we can. My heart is not for every single person to come to Influencers Church. My heart is for every person to plant themselves in a place that is giving them life, that is springing life on the, on the inside of them. But you need to know that something there. So planting yourself, just to get a little candid, just for a moment. What is in fertilizer? Crap. So if you're actually planting yourself, you're probably dealing with crap. And the deeper you go, guess what? the more crap there is. But we know that even in the midst of all of that, with good soil that is invested into and in alignment with the kingdom of God, we know that even in the grappiest situations, like something like 2020, that we can still grow forth and become people of great strength. Planting ourselves in a life-giving church brings, strengthens our faith, says this, Psalm 92, band, come up here. I need to finish quickly. Psalm 92 says this. It says, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. And they shall bear fruit in their old age. Man, my knees were popping this morning, so I'm thankful for that. And they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock. There is no unrighteousness in him. Two more things and then I'm done, I promise. How do we strengthen our faith? Grow our faith. See our faith healed. Taking control over our atmosphere with praise, prayer, and worship. I encourage you with this go home and read 1 Chronicles 25. It's not really an invigorating portion of Scripture. So you're going to be like, why are you telling me to read this? 1 Chronicles 25 is the account that King David, a man that God himself said was a man after God's own heart. Yeah, you know, the murderer, the adulterer, that guy. And for whatever reason, God sees something in him and Calls a man after his own heart. And in 1 Chronicles 25, what does he do? You hear, it's literally a schedule. And it is a schedule of every musician and singer that David appointed to play worship throughout the kingdom 24-7. It's literally a schedule. The first hour, your opening act will be this guy. In the second hour it's this person In the third hour it's this band right so if you like pop rock you want to come between the hours of four and five you like hip-hop you want the late night right that's like 11 p.m to midnight right you know what i mean like you want hard rock like it's it's all literally there what david understood that the ticket to clear mind the ticket for being able to hear from god clearly the 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 ticket to peace the ticket to confidence was taking dominion over his atmosphere praise worship prayer and last but not least for my third closing. What strengthens your faith? What heals your faith? What grows your faith? You ready? It's really spiritual. Your problems, your issues, your trials. Peter would say it this way, First Peter chapter one, verse three says this, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with this great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It's pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. Until the day you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Now watch this. Even though you must endure many. I felt like we were going somewhere for a second, and then Peter was like, hang on a second. You must endure many trials. But he notates, for a little while. And these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And through your faith, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed. To the whole world. Nothing will strengthen your faith quite like going through something and seeing Jesus see you through. The very thing that you were trying to go around to avoid, to find another route. When God calls you, walks your hand, excuse me, holds your hand and walks you through the thing you've been trying to avoid you come out the other side not smelling like smoke you come out the other side with spiritual biceps you know what I mean you, you come out the other side with promise in tow you come out the other side more healed and whole nothing will ignite your faith like going through a good old fashioned trial <laughs> you remember that you know back in the 80's and 90's it was all about trials and tribulations you know? we don't like to focus on that as much in church it's all about all these things nothing will strengthen your faith like a, like a problem issue, like something that you actually need to attach your faith to to see through. we have got to understand, y'all, we're coming back to fundamental things, basic things, building block things in the church. God has called you not to just live on some faith, but wants to see you with much faith, with rich in faith, so that you begin to see, to move confidently, to speak clearly, to move with assurance in what you see faith is a substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of the things that you can't see and you can't see, but I can because God has revealed it to me. So I'll align my faith with what seems impossible now. But I've got to understand what robs my faith? What's the thing that causes that doubt? Jesus says, you can do this and far greater things if you believe and you don't doubt. But if I understand who my enemy is, it's not flesh and blood, but it's spiritual. It's principalities and powers. I understand the ways that he tries to attack me. The Bible says, don't be ignorant of the devil's schemes. But Then I can focus on how do I strengthen my faith, grow my faith, heal my faith, so that I can be a man of faith, a woman of faith, and see faith imparted into other people and their lives forever changed. Can I pray for you this morning before we go? I just wanna pray over God's word today, that today that you're not just hearers of the word, but rather we become doers of the word that I pray that in this message today, at some point in time, it gave you something to go, okay, yeah, that's equipped me to move forward with confidence, to be rich and much in faith, to boldly lead my life and my family in a place that we've never gone before, but God is leading the way through. Let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your goodness today. I thank you for your word that is alive, that is sharp, that is active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, I pray that it would equip us this would be an equipping word, an encouraging word. God, that we would see the things that maybe have been our stumbling block, the thing that maybe been that, that doubt that we keep tripping over, but Lord, now we cannot easily identify. You've given us vision to when the stumbling blocks come to step out of the way and keep moving forward. God, that we would come with a confidence and assurance that we would be people of faith who knew how to stand our ground and put our shoulders back and move forward. To stand our ground, roll our shoulders back, and move forward. It doesn't mean that we're absent of trials. It doesn't mean that we're absent of temptations. That doesn't mean that we're absent of problems in our lives. It just means that we have the confidence and the assurance that you were with me before it, and you will be with me through it, and you will be with me on the other side. Because the one who is faithful to start it is the one that is faithful to complete it. So God, every ounce of doubt that has been ruminating in the minds of anybody in this room today. I can't. I ask them to be silenced in Jesus' name and let the voice of faith begin to rise up again, that your voice would be increased in our lives. Your word says that the sheep know my voice. But would you speak clearly? We be people of faith, moving with great assurance and strength again. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.